Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 435 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam today doing a quick intro before we get into an interview I did with Louisa Morgan. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, Louisa Morgan <clears throat> has written uh, a couple of different stories, a couple of different books. Um, Louisa Morgan is the pen name for uh, the author who does when she does uh, her witchy books. So the first one is A Secret History of Witches. Uh, the second one was The Witch's Kind. And then her new book that we really get into today is The Age of Witches. Um, Louisa writes about witches in a way that I just love, which is the like naturalistic version of witches where they're um, using things from the earth like herbs and plants and uh, being connected with nature and it's not the like stereotypical like pointy hat and magic coming out of their hands and stuff like that it's just I love the way that she writes about witches in fact a secret history of witches I think is the best witch book I've ever read so uh, age of witches is a really really delightful story uh, it's set in Gilded Age, New York, which we actually get into a little bit about exactly what Gilded Age means. Um, but it's uh, a, a story about a family with power dynamics and magic and uh, good versus evil and all sorts of really great stuff. It's just a lovely book. And um, we get into, we had this conversation uh, during quarantine time, which we're still in right now. And so we're doing it over Zoom and talking about uh, how she works through writer's block and all sorts of great stuff. I, I call her prolific several times because before she was a writer, uh, Louisa was an opera singer and we get into the difference between uh, the two, but also the connections between the two. It was really interesting. Uh, you may also recognize her as Louise Marley or Kate Campbell because she's written under a couple of different pen names and she's written under a, a couple of different genres. So really good stuff. If you want to get a hold of us, you can always find us at professionalbooknerds.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Uh, we've been doing some really fun stuff to try and help keep you guys entertained on our social media. Jill made uh, a really fun at-home bingo, as well as one of the like this or that type of a thing on our Instagram stories. Uh, we also put our Nerd9 that we ask at the end of every uh, interview. We put those out on our social media for people to be able to partake in as well. So uh, if you go on Twitter, you'll find them. And if you go on Instagram, they're on our highlights on our Instagram stories. So uh, we'll keep plugging away, doing some fun stuff there because as of today, recording this and sending it out on the 13th, um, it's been a full month now since we've been all working from home and um, doing the social distancing thing. So I hope you guys are doing okay. Uh, trying any way we can to get creative and have some fun and give you guys some book recommendations to help pass the time. Um, yeah, I think that's just about everything. If you guys do need additional book recommendations or just want to say hi, feel free to shoot us an email, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. We're here for you. Um, yeah, I think that's just about everything. So I want to say thank you, as always, for, for listening. We really appreciate it. I hope you guys are staying safe, uh, staying positive, 
And I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Louisa Morgan on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. How are you doing with with all of this fun stuff? Well, it's a it's a, a good time to be a novelist. <laughs> are you able to um, actually? I'll just kind of give you a little um, idea. Normally, like we do in an introduction and all sorts of stuff, but I'll do that after the fact because with these Zoom meetings that we're doing, it just starts recording automatically. So okay. I will cut around everything, but um, yeah, I'll ask you. You know, a bunch of questions and about the books and all, all sorts of other stuff. But I would, I'm curious if you're able, like, are you able to be productive right now? I am. I some of my colleagues say they're not, but uh, for me, it's a, it's a really helpful exercise to lose myself in the work that I'm doing right now. Hmm. And, and I'm uh, always working on a book. So yeah, I was just, I was just gonna say. A, you're extremely prolific when it comes to writing, but like, are you, were you in the middle of something when this all started or was it um, like in the last couple of weeks you've started working on something new? I was in the early stages of a book that I had been planning for a while, so. So now, so now it's probably as good a time as ever to uh, do some research and, and start yes. in there, huh? I just got this warning that my internet is unstable. I have no idea what that means, but I can see you fine and hear you. So okay, also awesome. I was to say you're coming through clear, and um, we're actually uh, Jill, my co-host, who is not able. She's in a meeting right now, but um, we were laughing because we did our first ever recording like this uh, earlier in the week for our episode that came out yesterday, and we were laughing because it ironic. It sounded as clear as the ones when we do in our recording studio face to face. Just like. Well, I'm glad that we set up all of these uh, fantastic, fancy, uh, you know, monitors and microphones and all these things. And it sounds just as good. (laughs) Just going through Zoom and through our respective houses. But um, I want to tell you, I was so excited when Alan set this up because I, Secret History of Witches, I think is the best book about witches I've ever read. And I have read many of them. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. You're a witch fan. I am such, I actually was joking with um, my wife, who's also a big witch fan, but it's like, it's what that's one of those things that's kind of in my wheelhouse. If you tell me a book is about witches, I'm automatically in. Like, that's, it's a very low bar to, to start at, but just, <laughs> no, what, what I love that you do with that and the witches kind and also the age of witches, and we'll get into that in a second, is I love that you use, like, the the kind of more one one with nature version of it where it's not like oh. a witch can just conjure something using their hands and like you know, I always think of it I think of it as all my witches in whatever book there they are is they're working witches so it's a it's a, a skill and an art that they have to practice and it doesn't come automatically so so when you were writing these books, because these aren't obviously the, the first books you've written, I've got a whole bunch of questions about your <laughs> extremely prolific career, not only as this, but as a singer as well, which I know you talk about a lot. Just but. two, two careers, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you were prolific in both of them. But what made you, for the last three books, want to do witches? Like, is that something you've always been interested in? Um, I've always been interested in women with power. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, witches don't have to be women, but we traditionally think of them as being female. Yeah. It's not necessarily true. Um, and not all the ones that were pro- persecuted were women either, but 95% of them were women. Um, I just always wanted to write about women with power. And I did that when I was doing science fiction mm-hmm. as Louise Marley. And uh, as Louisa Morgan, um, it just, and I love to do historicals. So witches in history would signify women with power. And historically, of course, women had even less power than they do now. Yeah. Your wife might not agree. I don't know. <laughs> she, well, she's got ma- most of the power in this in the household. <laughs> we were uh, jo- we were jokingly watching, um, I don't remember even what show we were watching, but it was something about someone who is very particular. And she she's very particular about everything that goes on in our household. In fact, she specifically said to me when, I, when we were doing all these meetings and recordings and stuff, and I'm using this room, which is very bare bones because we don't, it's just the two of us here, but we happen to have a guest bedroom. And she's like, oh, that's the room you're going to use. We should put some stuff behind you. It's like, yeah. So <laughs> well, she has been, all the power in our household. For sure. That's been one of the fun things about um, watching a lot of things that where people are recording from their homes <laughs> is seeing what kind of art they have on the wall. So you get a good look at, like, I cleaned it up a little bit. but So that my, my study has um, things that are important to me and... Uh, I, I think it's been really fun. Like my yoga teacher has a completely different room. So. Uh-huh. It's, um, it's funny because where I've been doing my work, because obviously we've been all, our company's been working from home for uh, about two weeks now. Where I normally work is our kitchen. And our kitchen has like a, a an entire wall full of literary art. Like our entire house is literary art. We This, <laughs> this isn't just a job for me. Like it's a lifestyle for us. And um, so people... I'll have meetings with coworkers and they'll kind of look behind me and I can tell that they're not looking at me, that they're trying to figure out like what the piece of literary artist is from behind me. <laughs> just sure. remind myself, all I have is this little mirror behind me. It's pretty, pretty, pretty blank in well, here. Is that, is that a mirror? I thought it was a clock. Yeah, so. that one's a mirror. It's like um one of those sunbeam mirrors. Um, oh, interesting. Nice. And we have it. It's hard for you to see, but it is way too high on the wall for it to actually be. Um, helpful as a mirror but it's you know like I said we it's just my wife and I and our two dogs here so we don't really uh, use this room too often it's it's ironically it's where my clothes are in, in the guest bedroom I didn't <laughs> I didn't make the cut for the uh the main bedroom but um so what was your research process like for for the three witch books just because there's there feels like there's a lot in here that you obviously conjured to steal a word of theirs out of your own mind but I imagine you were doing a lot of research as well. I did I read um I read a lot of books about uh um, witches in who had been persecuted over the centuries I did a lot of research into finding out who they were and why they were the ones that were victimized which probably is familiar to you um there's a wonderful book a non-fiction book um which is a transcription of the Salem witch trials called the Penguin Book of Witches, which I bought because I thought it was going to be something else, but I really was glad I did because as a historical document, it's uh, very interesting. And then each time, because it, if you read Secret History, you know we go through five different time periods. Yeah. So I got to immerse myself in all those periods and find out um, as much as I could about the lifestyles and also those geographical locations. I haven't been to all of them, although most of them I have. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of research, but I really like it. The problem with research is that it is its own 
temptation. Yeah. And once you start down a rabbit hole, you can spend all of your writing time just looking up really cool details that may never make it into the book. That it's that's so funny you say that. We've had a lot of conversations with authors who do historical fiction, and something I always love asking, and I hear different different responses to this all the time. But how how you determine when you're ready to start writing? Because you can fall down those rabbit holes so easily. Oh yes, you can. Um, I don't I don't research before I start writing for the most part. Mm. For the witch's kind, it was a little different because I wanted to use the the post-World War II UFO sightings as backdrop. So I did read a couple of books in advance of going very far with that book. But normally my law for myself is I stop and research when I need something. Otherwise I'm writing the story because it's the story is what matters. Mm -hmm. And the, the research, the historical details or whatever, those are the backdrop to, the, to what the characters are doing. So for The Age of Witches, which is the new book, that's, that's set in New York City and kind of, is it, is it the Gilded Age? Is that what that's technically called? Gilded Age, yeah, in the 1890s. And it's kind of called that, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it's kind of called that because it was sort of the last gasp of you know, a whole stage of socioeconomic divisions where some people were very wealthy and the large majority of people were not so wealthy. Jokes have been made, they're not very funny, but about our living in a gilded age of our own right now because the, of the disparity of income. But in any case, that's why they called it, they call it gilded age. Yeah. So what made you want to focus on that period? And then I know um, you're in the Pacific Northwest, correct? Yes, right. So what made you want to use um, New York City in, in that time period? And like you said, you know, the secret history is spanning multiple generations, but Age of Witches really focuses on um, one specific aspect of a family. There's a lot of their history in there as well, but what made you want to focus on that specific time frame? I um, thought that that New York at the end of the 19th century was just a fascinating place. And I was also struck, and I wanted to use it in the book, there was a, for several years, maybe 15 years or so, there was, a, maybe 20, there was a, a um, this thing that was always happening. If you've watched Downton Abbey, you know, because um, Cora is an American woman who married a British nobleman. And that fascinated me. It happened a lot. I mean, there were dozens of them where American heiresses would marry British noblemen. The family would get a title and the British noble family impoverished would get money. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to use that as one of the plot devices. You also do a lot with um, kind of familial ties, which I feel like I feel like a lot of the books I've read that are about witches do have a very strong family aspect as well. Is that something that interests you, or is that just something that you you think plays well with the plot, being able to tie the characters so closely together through their own bloodlines? I, th I think it works really well for the plot, but it also comes from my own um, life experience because I come from a line of very strong women. Yeah. And, and that has always fascinated me. The, as I said at the beginning, women with power are one of the things that I um, have explored a lot, always. Um, I have three sisters and each one of them is stronger than the one, than the next one. And my mother was a really powerful woman. And so it was my paternal grandmother. And it just, so it's been kind of a, kind of something I've always thought about. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, speaking of kind of growing up and we were, you were mentioning this before, uh, you were an opera singer before <laughs> being, and I know that this is something you've been asked about a lot, but it's such a, it's, we've, we've had a lot of people who are like, oh, I was a lawyer before I started writing or I was, you know, a journalist or, but no, you, I, there, I've seen you talk a little bit about the connection, but first off is opera singing, is that something that's like in the family or is that something that was sort of your, um, one of your gifts that maybe your sister kind of? It was just my passion since I started singing when I was five mm -hmm. and I just always knew I wanted to, to be a singer. I wanted to be a writer also, but I, at least for the first half of my life, I focused on, on music. And I have to say, being an opera singer is the perfect preparation for being a novelist. Do you want to expand <laughs> on that a little bit? I've, 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 I've seen this, how you've described this, but I would love our listeners to be able to hear it as well. <laughs> so when you sing opera, you are an actor, right? You are a music, musician, but you're also an actor. And you learn everything about developing a character you learn everything about how scenes work and you integrate all this. I mean, you just absorb it sort of, so it becomes instinctive. You learn about building tension and releasing tension about um, how drama works and how resolutions work. So it's, I think having been an opera singer and sung really quite a few opera roles and then also a lot of concert work, it's kind of the same thing. It's drama. And if you, if you have absorbed that deeply into your creative spirit, there's a kind of an instinct then that, that spills over perfectly into writing. The interesting thing is that there are lots of, well, lots, that's maybe hyperbole, but there are a number of really good writers who were actors to start with. And I know if you, like, for example, there's a couple in, um, in the science fiction fantasy field who did, like one was a puppeteer yeah. and others were voice actors, that kind of thing. Opera singing, maybe I'm the only one, but. <laughs> you're, cer you're certainly the only one that's been on our show so far. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, I imagine it also teaches you to be able to spend a lot of time digging into a story and a character specifically, because that's, I think, you know, when you're writing a book, even if you're someone who is a prolific and quick writer, you're still spending months at, at a time with these characters and this story, and you do have to really dig in like I imagine as an opera singer you're doing performances is being an opera singer is it similar to being like in the theater where it's like seven and eight shows a, a week uh, no because you can't physically that's not possible for the right. voice the body maybe could do it but the <laughs> voice. Uh, normally you would only have two performances a week three would be a lot mm -hmm. um, however because I was a comprimario artist that means I did supporting roles um, I would often sing more than that, but I didn't have to sing for long periods all the time. But I was also a concert singer, so um, I, I think I lost track of the question. Oh yeah, no, so it was, I was curious, um, here to kind of take it another way, when, you, when you're doing um, operatic productions, is it similar to either on Broadway or when there's like a, a traveling, and there's a traveling musical where you're spending like weeks and weeks and weeks with a specific character, or when it comes to, um, the opera is it you prepare for a certain role and then you guys do it for like two weeks or so well that's correct um and actually in if, if an operatic character is one of your roles then you spend years with that character so mm -hmm. carmen for example was one of my roles and i didn't get to sing it a lot but you dig very deeply into it you study it for ages i mean 
literally years. Mm -hmm. Not just the music, but also the character, the um, what we call the shena, which is the movement, the you know the staging of the of the character. Um, and so when you when I'm writing characters, I think that experience bears almost directly onto the way characters develop. And I know you keep saying I'm prolific, and I guess looking back over everything, I'm fairly prolific, but I'm really not a fast writer. I'm never, I'll never be one of those that turns out two books in a year. I mean, it takes me a year to a year and a half to write a novel. Mm-hmm. And, um, to, you know, compared to, I don't, I don't know, the, some of the literary novelists, that's pretty fast, but um, I don't really think of myself as being a particularly fast writer. I would, but what's something I would think um, is unique is you, I guess prolific would be in the sense that you are also very wide ranging. You know, you've written <laughs> yeah. and, and obviously historical fiction. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I enjoy that you use, you know, different nom de plumes for, for your different, <laughs> uh, so I was laughing. I, you know, when I got the, the copy of the most recent book and your publisher contacted me, you know, it says Louisa Morgan. And she was like, by the way, that's not her real name. That's her number for me, you know, Louise Marlin. And then I was like, wait a minute. That's also Kate Campbell. That's how I was like. <laughs> so I, I do love the fact that you, you're certainly not enabling, or, you know, allowing yourself to be pigeonholed because you do have, it's clear you have all these different interests. You know, were you writing when you were doing the performing as a singer? Yes, uh, the two careers did overlap for a while. That was challenging because <laughs> singing at the way that I did uh, meant also I was teaching. I taught um, voice at the college level and I was really busy. And I could, I don't know how I did it. Actually, for several years I was doing both and it was a lot. Mm-hmm. It was really a lot. And you, it's nice of you to put such a nice light on the fact that I have other pseudonyms, mm-hmm. but I actually think it was a career mistake because the branding is really complicated that way. And I love, I love Louisa Morgan's brand, which is, I mean, Louisa is writing witches right at the moment, but they won't all be witch stories. There'll be other things, but I get to do historical fiction, which I love, but with that little paranormal slant that is always what fires my imagination. Mm-hmm. My agent and I call it historical with weird. <laughs> I don't know where that shelf is in the library, but it should be. You know what? I will say I like that a lot. Our, um, my father-in-law, uh, his job, he buys and sells high-end comic book art. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so he's been going to Comic-Con for like 35 years as a vendor. And he has, I think, exactly what, exactly what you would say, that kind of historical with weird, like that's very much his, um, his niche as well. Like he, have, he has all of these macabre pieces that are somewhat set in a historical setting um and i don't know exactly where it would go in a library or a bookstore but <laughs> you know what they are they are changing that you know they have instead of um they're getting away from the dewey decimal system and they're using the bisac code is what they call them now so they're more specific um so maybe you have your own like specific little genre area <laughs> there'd just be one writer in it here's this genre there's one writer yeah, that would, be, that would solve my branding problems. Um, so, for you, you know, where do the nuggets of the ideas come from? Is it from reading other books? Is it from articles? You know, where in your life? Because I've seen you say before that you know you have numerous ideas that come to you. So, where do they 
just kind of pop up in your brain? They, um, they do pop up in my brain. I, and I, what that says about me as a person, I'm not sure. I always have more ideas than I'll ever have time. I won't live long enough to write them all, which is great. It's great. But then when I, so that I've had to tell my students this, my writing students this to you, when it comes time to write, you need to choose one and develop it because they're just little things to start with. For me, it's usually an image of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, and then I build the story around that image, um, whatever it might be. Um, but every, I mean, there are stories, you can't walk down the street without seeing a dozen stories that you could develop. So um, that part is not hard. So when you're thinking of a story, you know, whether it's, you know, five families worth of, of witches or, or whatever it would be, um, are you seeing characters first or are you thinking along the lines of like, here's how I think a story, here's a, a piece of action that could happen that could spawn a story? You know, it, it kind of depends on the project because there are different, uh, they come from different places. I wrote a novel called The Child Goddess, mm -hmm. which just was a title to start with. I just loved the title. And so I, it took me two or three tries to, to get the story that I that suited it. But mostly I have an image. There's usually a character in it. There's a scene of some kind. And I just sort of delve into what that's all about and, and how a story can be built around it. So for Secret History of Witches, for example, mm -hmm. the book opens with that scene on the coast of Brittany amongst the men here, which are amazing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there, but be sure, be sure if you get a chance to go and see the fields of men here because they're just stunning. Mm -hmm. It's Karnak is the, is the village you want to go to. And so I saw, I saw that scene and that scene led me into everything that went afterwards. I didn't start out to write five different stories. It was going to be three, and then it was four, and then this brilliant editor that I had wanted um, the one in the middle, Irene, the Irene in English. Um, she wanted that story, so it's one of the reasons the book is so long. You know what? I I really love the, the ability to. I feel like that is a way to write a long novel is to have it be one of those like sweeping narratives that tells generations worth of stories. Um, yeah, generational story. Well, and plus then as you as a writer, you do get to, you know, we talked about spending so much time with characters when it comes to your operas and, and then also with the writing, but I imagine doing it that way with the multiple different stories, it almost feels refreshing for you. Like for, you know, Age of Witches, you have multiple uh, perspectives here. I imagine that helps kind of keep things fresh for you as a writer. Yes, I, I actually worried about um, Age of Witches because there are four point of view characters, which is one more than normally I would do. Mm -hmm. Oddly, I have two colleagues who are both working on novels with four point of view characters. It must be in the air or something. <laughs> um, because I was worried it would dilute the story too much, but I really wanted one male character's point of view because that kind of puts everything else in a, in a context we wouldn't have otherwise. So... It was, I was kind of taking a chance, but then it worked out in the end, so I was happy with it. So were you writing uh, Age of Witches chronologically, or were you focusing on one specific voice at a time? I guess how... Oh, no, I'm, I'm very linear. I like start at the beginning, and I go through to the end, and every time I decide I have to change something, I have to go all the way back to the beginning oh. and integrate it, because it's just the way I work. Everybody has a different process. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the, the science fiction writer, Connie Willis? Mm -hmm. She has the strangest process I've ever heard. 
because she she's a I don't do this, but she outlines a book in detail. Okay. And then she writes the scenes out of order, which to me is my brain would break. I could, I could never do that. But I mean, that's the extreme, the other extreme, but I'm just like, start at the beginning, go through to the end. Mm -hmm. So, And so because of that, it's almost like, are you purposely writing your characters in the corners and then seeing how you can get them out? Or are you just letting the story take you where, you know, letting the characters sort of see, you know, letting you discover that? It's kind of a combination. You know, we, as writers, we have these two phrases we use. One is you're an outliner. The other one is you're a pantser, which means you write by the seat of your pants. Uh, and to, to quote the great uh, writer and teacher, Nancy Kress, I'm, I can, it's like driving at night and I can see just as far ahead as my headlights reach. Mm. That's the way I normally do it. But I always know the end. And I try not to write a scene unless I understand what the scene's supposed to accomplish. And then it's really, the fun for me is to see how I accomplish, how the characters accomplish that and what can go wrong and how do they, and how do they get out of whatever went wrong. Yeah, I, I think what you said about knowing the end, I think that is what keeps things making sense. You know, I always think when people talk about um, writing stories where they know how it's going to end, I think about Agatha Christie and how all of her novels, when you get to the end and there's like a, a twist, if you look back, there are kernels of like, oh, okay, it is possible to figure it out if you're extremely clever. I have yet to do it with any of her novels, <laughs> ahead of time. but yeah, it, it wasn't like, it's not like one of those where the, the rug is pulled out from under you and there's no rhyme or reason how it could have been. So I think knowing the end, like you mentioned, I think it makes for a cohesive story, even if you don't know parts, you know, X and Y, you know how you're going to get to, you know, you know what Z is going to be, so you can write to it as you, as you go along the way. And, and as you, as you write along, this is why I'm not an outliner. Often better ideas come to me when I'm in the middle of a, of a scene. So that really helps a lot because that's where the inspiration comes from. It's, it triggers a lot of creativity. If, if a new idea comes and you're free to explore it. Thriller writers don't work that way. Thriller writers, everything's laid out. I learn a lot by reading thrillers, by the way, because plotting is not my favorite part of the job. Mm -hmm. And thriller writers are so good at plot. So, um, and they, ha they have to outline everything because, of course, twists and turns and making everything, as you say, be cohesive at the end is really tricky for those writers. Yeah, you I'm glad that you mentioned that. that was something I wanted to ask you is, you know, what type of a reader are you? Do you read within genre and like similar stories to what you're writing when you do, or do you kind of stay as like when you're writing these books, are you staying as far away from other books about witches as you can, or like, you know, what do you read where you find enjoyment? I'm personally? just, I, I'm very eclectic in my choices. I read a lot of literary fiction. Um, I read some thrillers. Um, I read mysteries a fair amount. I do read in, in a couple of genres. I read historical fiction. I should say three. I read some science fiction and fantasy, if it's good. And I've, lately I've been reading a lot of witch books because I think it's fun to see what some of my colleagues are doing mm -hmm. and how differently we approach the material. I mean, there is historical material to use. There is, of course, um, actual practices of witchcraft that um, are extant at this moment. I hear from a lot of rather wonderful um, practitioners now that I've been publishing <laughs> Ah, there's your dog. <laughs> there's one of them, yeah. There's one outside the door. 
mine's out having a walk. He would be, he would be right here under my feet. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just read really a lot of things that come my way. And one of the cool things about being a published writer is that I, I get to read a lot of books before they're published because they're sent to me so that I can give a comment for the covers, we call them blurbs. And I have read some amazing, amazing new novels that way that I might not have found otherwise. So that's been a privilege. Yeah, that's that's one of our favorite parts of this job is obviously I got a, a copy of your book ahead of time. And there's behind me, there's a whole stack of books that the publication date is, you know, weeks and months from now. It is absolutely my favorite. <laughs> my, my favorite part of this entire job is getting to read books and then the negative part is having to wait to tell everybody about how wonderful this is. <laughs> that's that's a small part. And then uh, once in a while you don't once in a while you don't like them. That can happen. Yeah, we've certainly gotten books where a publicist will well we we get a ton of books now. They'll just send us send them to us blind, which is very sweet. But a lot of times, like we'll read some of them and be like, I don't want to promote this. I'm sorry. It's you know that that could be a problem, but it, more often than not, they're they kind of like all the publicists that we work with, and the they've sort of figured out our respective like my co-host Jill and I our various thing our likes and dislikes, and so it's really interesting to see the packages we'll get from the same publisher, oh, <laughs> but yes. the, the books will vary. Um, so yeah, that's always interesting for sure. Well, no, no two people are going to look at any book the same way, so. It's a very subjective thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so towards the end of our conversations, we like to ask uh, what we call the nerd nine, which is uh, <laughs> nine, yeah, I, we like alliteration. Um, they're just nine lighthearted questions. I used to call them rapid fire, and then our listeners would send in so many emails and yell at me because I get on tangents, which is just sort of how I am. So they'd be like, please stop calling them rapid fire. They are not at all. So um, <laughs> the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? I read a thriller called The Other Misses. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Bed. Oh, nice. Um, do you remember the book that sort of made you fall in love with reading as a kid? The Wizard of Oz. My, uh, it's funny you say this. This is, this is why these aren't rapid fire because I, <laughs> like people will say stuff and I'll be like, ooh, I, um, my wife is a huge fan of the Wizard of Oz books and um, I was in Los Angeles last year for the LA Festival of Books and they have a bookstore there called The Last Bookstore. And it's just a fabulous place. If you're ever in LA, I highly recommend it. It's right downtown. Okay. And, um, I was supposed yeah. to be at that festival this year. I, I, we, I was too. We could have seen each other. Postponed <laughs> um, for the fall, so we'll hope. Yeah, but if you get a chance to go to that bookstore, they have like a rare books room, but it's not like a rare books room where every book is like $1,000. They have a lot of rare books that are also very beat up. So I was able to buy my wife a couple of the original Wizard of Oz books. So like first editions, but they're really, really beat up. So they were like $30. And um, yeah, so I'm sure they'll have more if, if those, we are able to go there in the fall. Those original editions of Wizard of Oz are so bizarre, aren't they? Yes. The little dark drawings and that, I mean, because what I read were the, the, I was like in the second grade or something when I got onto these. And they were these nice, big, thick, rewritten, stories more like the movie than the original books yeah the the original books are very very bizarre but like you said about like the kind of the, the dark the dark weirdness that my wife gets that from her father so we she very much <laughs> appreciates the uh, um the illustrations that's apropos of nothing okay next one of these is uh 
what's one place you'd like to travel to that you have not yet been? Um, I haven't yet been to Cornwall. I read um, lots of books about Cornwall because I had the whole, um, the first book of the secret history of witches was set there. Um, and so it's something my husband and I plan to do next time we get to Europe. We travel quite a bit. Next time we're all allowed to leave our respective homes, that is. Exactly right. Um, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Ah, favorite Well, I love Halloween because <laughs> I get to get dressed up. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's good. Uh, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Both. Cats or dogs? Dogs. I'm very allergic to cats. Sorry, cat people. I love looking at them from a distance, but I always have a dog. Uh, do you have a favorite food? <laughs> I love food. Um, my favorite food is probably red wine. I know that's not a food. I no, guess. I was just going <laughs> to say, I feel like the more and more we talk, I just think I should have brought my wife in and you two could have. Yes, you should have done it. And so you tell your wife, we're going to do a thing soon. Uh, Ellen Wright is arranging it um, at Orbit. It's going to be called Wine and Witches, or Witches and Wine. I forget which direction. And so um, uh, Constance Sayers, who just published a wonderful book called A Witch in Time. Mm -hmm. She and I both love wine. And so we're going to, I don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. It'll be online, you know, so yeah. we'll be yeah. fine. We had a long, long time ago, actually, Constance was on um, Did you? Yeah. for her debut novel because uh, our company, Overdrive, had it. It was like a digital book club that we did with her original, with her first book in the series. Um, I might reach out to Ellen and see if I can finagle my way as a part of that. Um, okay, last one of these. If you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, Barack Obama. Well, or Michelle Obama. You know, we've actually gotten more Michelles than, than Barack's over our... Uh, over well, I think I want them both, so... I'll allow it, I'll allow I'm it. Gonna have it. And I invited Elizabeth Warren to come to my house, but she didn't come. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, okay, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from The Age of Witches? Um, you know, those are the things... I'm sorry, I can't give you a, a rapid-fire answer here. Those are the things that, it's interesting, my younger writing students, like middle school students, always want to know, did you plan theme in your books? And of course you never do. It's people who analyze them that talk about what the theme is. But if the, what I would want them to take away is the fact that women can and should be in charge of their own lives. In Gilded Age stories, women, I mean, they couldn't even vote yet. And women could be put away on the word of a husband who was angry at them, um, literally put away forever. So, I, and, and that's not so common today, but still, I, that would be what I would want. And if younger women read it especially, I want them to feel like there's always a way to take charge of your own life. I think that's absolutely perfect. This was so much fun. Louise, thank you for joining me today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.